everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthy Perspectives Podcast, a podcast where we look at some of the digital trends happening in the healthcare space, and we also figure out what it all means for patients today, tomorrow, and into the future. We're your hosts, Scott and Greg. Today, we have another great conversation with some of our Patients and Purpose agency friends. We invited Jessica Honickman and Dimitri Zak, part of our emerging digital group. We're talking about user-centered design. What does it mean to really create for the patients first? Here's a conversation. Enjoy. Hey, guys. Welcome. Um, Justin and Dimitri, we're excited to have you here. Um, why don't you tell us a little about yourselves? Hey, guys. I'm Dimitri Zak. I lead our user experience practice at Patients and Purpose. Hi, I'm Jessica Honickman. Everyone calls me Jess, and I'm an art director working on digital products. So, yeah. So, Dimitri, so why don't you explain, why don't you lead us off? Why don't you talk about what is a user-centered design? So even before saying that, I'd like to talk about the paradox of choice that happens in today's information overload world. Um, when the patient gets diagnosed with a specific condition, most folks would immediately start Googling for that information, and they get overloaded with a ton of information, a ton of websites. And what we try to do is try to employ user-centered design approach by placing the patient at the center of all the decisions. We want to understand what the patient is going through, and we try to prioritize over all of our business decisions, all of our design decisions around the patient. So when our site comes up, when the patient actually finally lands on that experience, we show to the patient exactly what they're looking for, and we try to make their user journey very straightforward, and we try to increase their health literacy. Right. So with so many different patients and targets, how do you do your research? Where do you like, how do you uncover all these kind of insights? So it really depends on the specific condition or the specific uh, experience. So some of our experiences are easier because we're dealing with one disease and one demographic. So in that case, we'll do deep uh, qualitative research with that group and we'll figure out, okay, what kind of reading habits do they have? What's their tolerance for um, various things? And what kind of language would like they like that information to be presented in? Um, and then we tailor to that. Yeah. I think maybe even taking a step back, like framing, like we do, we're a full service agency, but I think user-centered design is highly and especially relevant for all of these digital pieces that we're doing, whether it be websites or apps or even how think about how they're working with uh, social media, ingesting content. I know that it, it all starts with a deep insight, right, into yeah, yeah. the user, which is rapidly changing today. Um, what experiences have you guys had in terms of researching user insights? Sure. So there's one specific project that I'm very proud of. Uh, it didn't deal with patients. It actually dealt with the scientists. Um, and what we did was we followed kind of like a co-design practice where we did a lot of uh, qualitative research with the scientists, and we had them co-design the experience with us. We had them tell us what their ideal information flow would be like. We had them envision if they had to do their work in a slightly better way, what would that look like? Um, we profiled their information gathering um, patterns, and we built the perfect system for them. And when we went to user testing, we had a lot of good feedback because the actual users of the system co-designed the system with us. So super proud of that particular project. And it was basically 50% of the project was research, and only 50% was actual execution. 
So I think um, that's something that uh, we definitely, as a designer, as a visual designer, that kind of research is like so valuable. And it makes me and, and all of us designers and copywriters too, I think it makes us much better at our jobs. I think historically the way things were done would be you would get a brief from a client that would outline the client's business goals and what they want their end user to do or, or think or feel. And then you would just go away and come up with an idea and the client would choose the one they like and then you would execute that. But I think uh, what we're trying to do here at Patients and Purposes, and Greg, you can also talk about this a bit too, I think what we've what we've been doing is um, really trying to get some projects uh, or or do what we call co-creation. So which is instead of going away and dream and coming up with these uh, solutions for patients, we get together with the patients right from the start. It's kind of a more agile way to approach things. Um, and it just informs the process all the way through, whether you're talking about strategy or wireframes, all the way through to kind of the what people traditionally think of as design, which is fonts and colors and things like that. Of course, it's much more than that. But that's what's great to me as a designer about user experience and user research being part of the process now. So Jessica, let me ask you a question. So as a designer, how do you balance the kind of the patient's insights and all this kind of research you find versus your own point of view and stuff? I feel like that's an interesting kind of yeah. dynamic, right? Dynamic. Well, um, I have a story that I have told on more than one occasion, but I'll tell it again. Um, so, uh, so a little bit early on in my career, um, I was lucky enough to take a class with Milton Glaser, who is kind of the godfather of American graphic design. And he's, I think, almost 90. And he he sort of described to all of us what design was even though most of us in the class had already been practicing as designers. And he said that basically when you design anything, it's just this. You think about who it's for, and then you think about what you want them to do or say or feel or think, and then you figure out how to make them see or think or do that thing. So I've always kind of tried to carry that through me, whether I'm designing a logo or a website or whatever that is, all through my career, even before user research and user experience kind of became such a great part of what I do. So I would say it's actually quite easy to balance it with my own vantage points because I, I always have his voice, Milton Glaser's voice ringing in my head. So I always keep thinking, who is it for and what do I want them to do? And the fact that now we have people like Dimitri conducting this deeper research, sort of um, this qualitative as opposed to just quantitative research, that just in a way, in a weird way, it makes my job easier, actually. Yeah, I think it's our like our dream scenario to be able to talk directly yes. those who are creating the Absolutely. content, yeah. talk directly, interview, see how their people are living. Uh, that's our ideal model for co-creation. We did this as for one of our brand hackathons where we brought patients interspersed into our creation teams to understand empathetically what their problem is, how they're living, what's the environment, uh, what do they do throughout the day. And you know, sometimes the the answer isn't obvious. Sometimes it takes a bit of uh, mm -hmm. wrestling with a problem, rapid prototyping, mm -hmm. and yeah. we could go into a whole other podcast about that. But it's that direct contact and empathy that infuses our ideas and where we want to do the most good with with the projects. 
I think you perfectly described uh, the discovery approach. And, uh, you know, to be blunt, it's UX discovery. And what you do is you may, when you start the project, you may have some idea, but you really need to work closely with the user to discover the true nature of how they want to use it. And you can tune it. And the sooner you tune your idea or your concept, the less costly it's going to be to change um, the way it used to be, let's say 20 years ago, you would have a very large product spec, and then you would go diligently and execute on each one. What you could do now is you could take the concept and you could do, you could perform user research, you can tune that concept, and you can prioritize all of the functionality and the business requirements. And you don't have to spend all of this effort on designing things that users will never use. So let me ask you this, with, with user consumption changing and the patient experience and just consumer experience digital rapidly changing, how are you kind of approaching any new projects you're taking on? Are you trying to create the next big uh, you know, uh, moonshot and create like a new experience or you're using existing experiences and trying to just build on that? I think a little bit of both on some projects. It, it, some projects are definitely moonshots, and we were able to do that, and very fortunate to have worked on some of them. But other projects are very incremental um, improvements, which we like very much. Uh, let, let me tell you about one big trend is, again, mobile first. It may have been a hot buzz word everywhere, but a lot of folks still did their research on their desktop computer. But that is very, very rapidly changing, and it has started to change a couple of years ago. Even with the older demographic, as soon as they get diagnosed and as soon as they come out of the doctor's office, they would Google on their phone what that condition is and begin their research on their mobile device. So us presenting proper health literacy information to the patients, we have to follow where the patient is conducting their research. And we have to tune those experiences to that specific platform. Uh, Jess, let me ask you this. Uh, do you, from a design perspective, have you noticed any trends happening in kind of the... Uh Yes, I have. Um, two things I've noticed, both of which I really like. One is that design is getting, uh, I think, simpler interfaces are getting simpler, which I think is great because aside from the healthcare space, which is can be confusing and also frightening, I think, for patients, as you said, Scott, there's so much stuff out there. People are banking on their phone and they're, they're sharing their photos and doing all of this other stuff, um, applying for grad school, whatever it is. And I think it's really important to create something that like cuts through all that clutter and all that anxiety. Um, and then on top of that, now we have this issue of fake news, which adds another layer of like uh, mistrust. And so we have to engender trust and kind of this vibe of transparency. And so that's kind of on a general design level or look and feel level. And then kind of on a more specific level, I've noticed there's a lot of, this has been going on for a while, but there's been a lot of what we call uh, micro interactions, which is basically just little subtle animations, visual cues in digital products that let the user know when they've done something successful. And one thing that really comes to mind, because I use this a lot, is a ZocDoc. So I'm sure most people are familiar with this. It's great. It's how I found all my doctors. It's how I make an appointment at 3 a.m. when I know no more people. Right. It's, the an, phone. it's an app to just find doctors it's, it's any, in your area and, and with and your you health. And um, right? you, know, you can store all your information there and so on. So that's a, it's a gorgeous, simple interface. But they just have these little fun touches where once you've made an appointment, they have a little logo that is a smiley face in the shape of a Z. It's a bit hard to explain. Um, but when you've done something, when you've 
succeeded, the Z will smile. And I think those visual cues are enjoyable or delightful, which was has been a buzzword for a while. But also they give the user a sense of completion and, and kind of like confidence. Um, and also they address things in our industry, uh, specific to our industry, healthcare, things like, you know, a lower reading level and, and things like that. And then sometimes there are apps and things that younger people might be using, even children. And to have these little visual cue things that don't rely on, you know, necessarily long sentences. I think that's a really good trend. And I'd love to try to incorporate more of that, as well as this simple interface thing. Yeah, that's a, yeah, a huge, I think you really captured a huge lens of what we, as like art directors, as digital creatives try to consider and look through as to create these meaningful digital delightful experiences yeah there's like so much clutter like mm-hmm. you're looking on your phone you get notifications every oh, yeah several minutes <laughs> um, so much a bit it? of a i don't yeah. know what even what the attention deficit or averages spent time on a website now or engaging with your apps and even facebook and instagram captures they i think a fifth of your internet time for a lot of people and how do you speak in those channels how do you speak or create meaningful interactions in other channels yeah i think you touched on something also with the whole uh, building that trust right so there's two parts where it's uh uh, being authentic i think people really resonate uh with authenticity and also this kind of empathy of like if it's an emotional connection i'm I'm more likely to trust you i think Yeah. And if there's some sort of reward, and I mean that, you know, in the sense that, yeah, like I said, you don't mean like an actual prize. Yeah. No, I don't mean a prize (laughs) or a discount, but just some sort of like completing a circle of I've taken these steps. Hopefully they're very simple, that it's not a difficult user experience. But at the end, you get some sort of like nice smiley face thing a little badge or some uh, sort of thing thumbs up or whatever it is um and i think just design in general like as a graphic designer like to me the more stuff i can take out that isn't needed the better like that's definitely the way i look at anything i'm designing um yeah, keep you it know, simple. It's yeah, very much so. So I, I want to see more, even more of that. Yeah. So Dimitri, <laughs> you kind of touched upon this, uh, the patient in the uh, how they kind of find information. So let's dive into you know what we always do here is put our kind of patient perspective on things. So in your uh, from your point of view, how have you seen the patient experience change? Maybe. Um, in the last couple of years, and how is it going to evolve in the next few years? I think folks are not afraid of looking things up on their mobile device. Um, This is a very intimate, personal piece of technology. It's not even seen as technology anymore. It's just seen as, here's this thing that I'm going to type on and get some information. And that barrier to information has been lessened with the voice uh, interfaces. We have the Siri, you have the Alexa, and folks are just treating it as another screen. However, the typical session length on a mobile device is very short. And because you're used to specific interactions on your mobile device, those interactions are actually intimate and very short and very to the point. So you have to tailor that information delivery in that very same fashion. You can be overburdensome because people will dismiss it. So you have to really, really tune that mobile experience to take out the extraneous items, information or colors, and really, really focus on what the patient is looking for. Yeah, like Phil said last episode, you got to remove the friction and that's how you succeed. Yeah. The less friction you have on a mobile device, the better. How many times did we try to look for something and let's say you went from a mobile site all of a sudden to a non-mobile optimized site and you couldn't read the text and you had to zoom? 
Well, a lot of folks would just close that tab and start the search over until they find their answer. Right. So Jess, with all this kind of new technologies out there and new platforms, how is your approach to design changing? How do you even keep up with everything? Well, (laughs) I I always say, oh, God, I can't keep up with everything. And I'm really anxious about it. So, well, it's hard. I mean, I think you just have to keep those principles in mind. Who is this for and what do you want to do for them, et cetera. But, yeah, I think it's quite hard to keep up. And that's partly why we do things like this podcast. And we try to go to meetups and we try to talk to each other about it. And I guess it's kind of like the first time I ever designed a website, I thought, Oh, God, I don't know how to do this. But I just, you figure it out step by step. That's not a particularly deep answer, is it? Yeah, I think but as a designer, I just totally... You just start doing it. Yeah, you, you start with a... You make loads of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're open, guess. you're curious, yeah, you exactly. experiment, um, <laughs> you pressure test designs. Yeah. To, um, and you maybe... You fail you, fast, right? That's yeah, what we, yes, we talked about last time. And then I guess, you know, you just... I think reading is... This is veering into a different discussion, but as with any profession, you just have to try to stay abreast of everything and see examples of something you want to do and then try to copy that, at least, for your project. So what I try to do is I spend a lot of time trying to get new gadgets and I've literally turned my house into like a little... <laughs> experimental lab. I have like an Alexa, I have the Hue Hub, I have the <laughs> Nest, the I have the Canary. <laughs> um, and what I try to do is get firsthand experience with new technology. So I kind of have this empathy towards other folks that may be using it. But just to comment on something that you said earlier, I think the biggest shift in healthcare has been number one, where the information lives and how easily it's available. You know, in the past, several decades ago, if you were diagnosed with something, if you really wanted to do your own research, you had to go to a library or you had to get medical books. And it was a very time intensive, very hard thing to do. Today, literally, with your voice, you can have access to the same or even more information. And what has happened is not only can you access medical information, but you could also be connected with other patients that will actually possibly steer you in the right direction or share the right URL with you. And additionally, you don't only always have to go. You can actually place a call, a video call to your doctor to be diagnosed potentially or sorted before you even go to the emergency room. So all of that connectedness creates, number one, a lot of good opportunities but also overloads us with all of the options and choices. And that kind of contributes to that cognitive load. What is the right decision? How do you choose the right course of action for that particular ailment that you have? Yeah, it's really interesting because I, I think you're touching on something that I'm very curious about, the whole, you know, the, the empowered patient. And we talk about this on a lot of episodes. But it's, it's you know, like you said, like now patients can connect with other patients. They can connect with doctors. So you don't have to wait for the next time you see a doctor to really do your own research and your own homework. And I think that's, for me, what I'm excited about in terms of experience is that's where it's going to change of how do you continuously keep patients engaged with their own health care, with their own doctors, their own treatment and stuff like that in creating meaningful experiences. Yeah, I think that the connectedness is so key. It leads to this age of self-diagnosis mm-hmm. it could also lead to this age of paranoia to yes. like well, Zika, oh God. whatever yes, is right. it here and, a lot of um, hypochondria that's out there yeah I, th- I think what's great about it is that you really, if, if you manage your, your digital healthcare <laughs> consumption, you can really act proactively about your health and you can and do a lot more preventative care, which I think is, you know, any doctor will tell you, you know, uh, what is it? An ounce of prevention is 
better than a pound of cure. I think I'm saying that wrong. But I think that is a great opportunity, um, is preventative stuff. I live with the uh, motto, an apple a day keeps a doctor away. So okay. that's kind that's of, it. Yeah. that's what I live my life by. So <laughs> social media consumption a day keeps a doctor further away? <laughs> Basically, yeah. that's not bad. That's not bad. So I think there is a lot of opportunity to do patient education around their disease. I think what you can do is patient outreach so the patient does not feel like they're alone in their battle. They can get connected to other patients that could potentially tell them how they deal or how they cope or how they minimize the effect. Additionally, the analog patient group used to meet in person. Now people don't have to. Some of the diseases affect a very small population group, and you can have folks living 100, 200, 300 miles away from you. You don't have to see them in person. You can join them in a discussion in an online form. Yeah, on, we've been hearing that in previous conversations on Twitter, Facebook, are these digital hubs out there uh, exist and cure that problem of isolation and being in the dark? Yep. Um, we've been doing a lot of research into VR space. And, um, you know, that could also potentially, if we think five, 10 years out, when VR becomes a little bit friendlier for the average everyday consumer, you could potentially have uh, a user or a patient group meet in a virtual space where they feel more integrated with one another. Um, I've seen some great research into pain management today with VR with some burn victims. What they do when they're treating them, uh, they place the patient in a VR headset and the patient is presented with a very cold, icy world and that happens to lessen their... Uh, pain when they're experiencing that particular procedure. So I could see that happening with a patient group. Imagine a patient group with deals with social anxiety and maybe a way for them to kind of lessen it is to connect with other patients in VR and kind of experience that being, but they'll feel a little bit safer because they're in their house. So there's that bridge, potential bridge. Yeah, I think yeah, VR and augmented reality is this exciting new frontier. I can't wait for us to yeah. create uh, new <laughs> to fail. new experiences, <laughs> yeah, fail, new experiences yeah. in yeah. the VR space. That's going to be a that's very exciting, especially with like augmented reality too. Like how do we with different interfaces and different kind of new digital consumers and stuff out there. It's going to be really interesting how we start designing. Yeah, how but, can we Pokemon go people to their better health? Yeah, yes. exactly. But we got uh -huh. two strong uh, we got a UX uh, Personally, we got a UX designer, so we're uh, we're in good shape there. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, we're just about out of time, so I want to thank uh, both of you for coming in. Uh, we, Thanks I, for having us. Yeah, we yeah. enjoyed this Thanks experience, yeah. so uh, yeah. that's a good use case right there. <laughs> yeah, we love talking even outside uh, about all these emerging technologies and uh, breakthrough user insights. Um, it's great to be able to share this with a broader audience and rally for how important this is to our agency process. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was our conversation with Jess and Dimitri. I want to thank them both for joining us today. I had a blast and a really great experience, no pun intended. What about you, Greg? Yeah, I love getting into the heads of the users. If you want to hear more about user insights and patients, connect to us on our social channels at Patients and Purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review and tell a friend. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And with that, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.